This morning we're doing a couple of things. We're installing a new deacon. So we're continuing this morning in Joshua. And I feel kind of like this morning starting off with, uh, if you've watched Jeopardy, that, that potpourri category, right? That they just throw everything in just to try to cover it. I, I want to start, and I, I kind of feel that way starting off. It's the potpourri category. But it's basically just a couple of loose ends. There was so much last week in Chapter 2 uh, with the story of Rahab. And in the interest of time... Uh, I uh, elected to leave off a couple of things that just didn't fit with the core of the message last week. But there were two that I just couldn't leave out altogether, and two that I want to briefly mention to begin uh, this morning. Uh, One of which is one that, that several of you have asked about even, because last week about Rahab, it piqued your interest. Um... And probably for you folks following the Bible reading plan, you had just read before the sermon that, that last week, Matthew 1 and Matthew's begats, right? So-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so, right? And, and you saw, hey, Rahab got a mention there. Isn't that interesting? And so it's right there in, in verse 5 of chapter 1 in Matthew. Salmon, the father of Boaz by Rahab, and Boaz, the father of Obed, by Rahab. So Rahab gets this mention, which is really kind of cool, because on one level it shows you the end result of the transformation that happened in her life. Because what she did that we saw last week is she basically turned traitor and renounced her Canaanite citizenship, if you will. And in essence said, I'm not one of those anymore. And so here we see the end result of that she, in fact, became an Israelite. And she's now listed as one of the great, 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 great grandmothers of our Lord Jesus. And that's pretty remarkable, especially in light of the fact that she was formerly a prostitute. And here she is in the lineage of, of Jesus, of all things, Does she really belong there? What was Matthew thinking when he included her? (laughs) Maybe he didn't know, right? Maybe he didn't know what she used to do for a living. But actually, if you look back two verses before Rahab's mention, in verse 3, and Judah, the father of Perez and Zerah by Tamar, and Perez, the father of Hezra, Tamar, really? He went there. (laughs) That is pretty interesting. Now, if you don't know why that's such a big deal, you'll have to go back and read Genesis 38 on your own. But let me just tell you, Jerry Springer ain't got nothing on Genesis 38. (laughs) Y'all, it is scandalous. It is scandalous. And here she is showing up in the lineage of Christ as well. So maybe Matthew did know what he was doing when he listed Rahab. And I think he knew what he was doing when he mentioned Tamar. And this is not a sermon on that, so I'll keep it brief. But, y'all, by the time you get in that lineage to Solomon being born from dead Uriah's wife Bathsheba, 
It's as if there's an agenda. And and I think it does several things for us. It it shows us, number one, our need for a sinless Savior. Something's going to have to happen with this lineage for us to have a sinless Savior. But it also shows us that God can and will use anything and everything for His good purposes. Even our failings, even our sin, He's so big He can use that and He can weave it into His beautiful plan for our lives. So if He could be God to these folks with their sketchy pasts, maybe there is hope for me after all. So that's loose end number one is is the genealogy bit. It's very, very interesting. The second thing is this scarlet cord. Um, In uh, Joshua 2.18, part of this story, uh, Behold, when we come into the land, these spies are telling Rahab, You shall tie the scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And you shall gather into your house your father and mother, your brothers, and all your father's household. See, Rahab had cried out for safety. And the spies had said, okay, deal. So when we come in, you're going to put this scarlet cord in your window as a sign and we'll know that this is the house of Rahab and your family will be safe. Now you would be blessed, I promise, to go back and spend a little time in Exodus 12 in companion with Joshua 2. Because these stories are beautiful and it's very similar scenarios. If you put this sign on your dwelling, right? In Exodus 12, it's the blood of the lamb. If you smear the blood of the lamb on your doorpost. For Rahab, it was if you put this scarlet cord in your window. If you put this sign on your dwelling and you take refuge inside, you will be safe. You and your family. And these are beautiful, beautiful foreshadowings of the work of Christ. If you will place yourself under the blood of the Lamb, if you will take refuge in Christ, you will be safe. You and your family. And so it is beautiful. It is worth your time to consider that and meditate upon it uh, going back to Exodus 12. Now, that's it with the loose ends. All right, potpourri category is closed. We're done because we've got to get moving. Like literally we have to get moving. We have to move across the river and into the promised land. And that's what Joshua 3 is about. So if you're able, I'd ask that you stand for the reading of God's word. Joshua 3, these are the very words of God. Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim, and they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. At the end of three days, the officers went through the camp and commanded the people, as soon as you see the ark of the covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the Levitical priest, then you shall set out from your place and follow it. 
Yet there shall be a distance between you and it, about 2,000 cubits in length. Do not come near it, in order that you may know the way you shall go, for you have not passed this way before. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves, for tomorrow the Lord will do wonders among you. And Joshua said to the priests, Take up the Ark of the Covenant and pass on before the people. So they took up the Ark of the Covenant and went before the people. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you in the sight of all Israel, that they may know that as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. And as for you, command the priests who bear the Ark of the Covenant, when you come to the brink of the waters of the Jordan, you shall stand still in the Jordan. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And when the soles of the feet of the priests bearing the ark of the Lord... The Lord of all the earth shall rest in the waters of the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing. And the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan, with the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan, and the feet of the priests bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water, now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarethan. And those flowing down toward the sea of the Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. And the people passed over opposite Jericho. Now the priests bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord stood firmly on dry ground in the midst of the Jordan, and all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. May God add His blessing to the reading and to the teaching of His inspired, inerrant, infallible, and authoritative Word. Let's pray together. Oh God, You are a God of wonders. You are a God who does amazing things. And we pray and ask of You no less of a miracle this morning. That You would open up Your Word to our hearts. That You, Holy Spirit, would illumine our understanding that You would help us to understand this story in Joshua and in understanding it, we might understand the bigger story. Your story of redemption. Your story of how You have loved a people and called them and set Your affection on them and redeemed and rescued them. Help us to see it. Help us to be changed by it. We pray in Christ's name and for His sake. Amen. You may be seated. Now, this is going to come as a shock to some of you this morning, but I'm here this morning to give you three steps, right? Not very often for me that you're going to get a top ten list or that you're going to get five ways to a happier this or seven tried and true methods for that, but I am here today with three steps. 
specifically three steps that will prepare you for absolutely anything that you might face. They are tried and true, they are time-honored, and they do come with a money-back guarantee. I'm just that sure of them. See, much of chapter 3 is about Israel's preparation. Right? Prepare to cross the Jordan. Prepare to enter this land that I have promised to you. And so we see the Lord speaking to Joshua, and then we see Joshua speaking to the people. And if you and I pay close attention to their steps for preparation, then we find our steps for preparation. And to do this, we're going to focus first on verses 9 and 10 right here in the middle of the chapter, and then we will zoom out and look and see how the chapter as a whole shows these steps at work. And along the way, but wait, there's more, right? Along with your three steps come some uh, struggles, some, why are these things so hard? Why is it so hard to follow these three simple steps? So I'm going to try to give you some of that along the way. So, uh, zooming in first on verses 9 and 10. Here's our three steps. And Joshua said to the people of Israel, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. And Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that He will without fail drive out from before you all the bad dudes currently possessing your land. That's my paraphrase. Now, so you see those three steps. Go to the next slide for me. The first two... Okay, those sound kind of like steps. But this third one, that's not really a step. That sounds more like something that God is doing. And so we'll get to that when we get to step three. Step one, we've got to listen. We've got to hear the words of God. We've got to give heed to the authoritative word of God. You know, the the four little things that I say about God's Word each week after I read the Scriptures, the last of which being that it is authoritative. It is our authority. We need to take heed what it says. And so for these Israelites, if they want to prepare to cross the Jordan and enter the land, they better listen to what God says. And if you and I want to prepare for whatever it is that we might be facing... Marriage, raising children, being the best widget maker or diaper changer that we can be, facing an uncertain situation. Whatever it is, if if we want to be prepared, then we had better listen to God's Word as well. And it's not like this is the first time that in Joshua we've even seen this emphasis, right? Back in chapter 1, huge emphasis on God's Word. Verses 7 and 8 of chapter 1. And I'm thinking now that maybe... No, I did put it in there. Good. Be strong and courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses my servant commanded you. Don't turn from it to the right or to the left that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night. We've got to listen to God's words. Now, Now, what is the big deal here? What is it that we have to gain by listening to what He says? 
You know, two weeks ago we, we talked at length about that when we were dealing with these verses in chapter 1. I'm not going to rehash that. But suffice it to say, as a simple summary, if you will, that when it comes to God's Word, we learn who He is and we learn who we are. Both absolutely necessary if we're going to be prepared for whatever it is that we're going to face. We've got to know who He is. And we've got to know who we are. We've got to know ourselves, right? Not in the Oprah kind of existential, you've got to know yourself, right? But we've got to know who we are in light of who God is. And we get examples of both of these things right here in this passage that we're in in chapter 3 today. Who He is... And who we are. So first, let's look at who God is. In this chapter, chapter 3, the very first thing that we have is in verse 3, even by this mention over and over and over again of the Ark of the Covenant, we're reminded of who God is. Uh, He commanded the people, as soon as you see the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God being carried by the priests, then set out. So what is it about the Ark? Right, the Ark of the Covenant, well, it's this, it's this really fancy box that God commanded them to construct, and they carry it with them, and it contains some things. God commanded them to put some certain things in the Ark, and even those things remind us of who God is, and they speak to who He is. The, the, the stone tablets of the Ten Commandments inside the Ark. Right? So we're reminded, right? He's the lawgiver. And we're reminded about how those stone tablets came to be, and we're reminded about that encounter at Sinai and all of his power and might. Ark also contains Aaron's rod. You remember Aaron's rod? Before the Pharaoh, before all the magicians, he throws his rod down at God's command and it becomes a snake. Shows up later, too, with some more miraculous things as Aaron's rod is budding, right? So it's a sign of God's power. It's a sign of His rescue. It's a reminder. He's the rescuer. He's the Savior who got the slaves out of Egypt. And He used Aaron's rod in part of that process. And then finally, there's a jar of manna, right? This, this reminder of God's faithful provision in spite of the Israelites grumbling and complaining and sinfulness as they wandered through the wilderness every day without fail. More provision, more provision, more provision. And, and so by the ark's very presence, we're reminded of, of God's presence. He's the God who is, who is near. Look down at, at verse 10, if you will. Verse 10 calls out the fact Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you and that He will drive out all of these pagans from the land. Right? That He would say, here's the living God. He's among you. And all of these ites, right? All of these pagan ites down here and all of their dead gods. There's only one who's living. The Lord your God. He's the living God. And then down in verse 13. When the soles of their feet, the priests bringing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth. 
He is the Lord even of, over all of those ites. He's the Lord even, we saw last week, of the foreigner Rahab. He's the Lord of all the earth. So we're seeing a lot of who God is here. And don't forget the whole, that whole waters heaping up thing. The whole miracle itself. How the Jordan at flood stage, no less, dries up. At the command of the Lord, it stops flowing. And the ground is dry. And so this passage tells us just a teensy-weensy little bit about who this God is. We've got to listen to God's Word. We've got to pay attention to who He is. But we also need to get a good sense of who we are. And this passage gives us that too. Look at verse 5. Then Joshua said to the people, Consecrate yourselves. Part of their preparation is they've got to consecrate themselves. Well, what does that refer to? Well, throughout the Old Testament, God's people are called upon to consecrate themselves before they can come into His presence, before they can worship, before they can be near to Him. They've got to consecrate themselves. They've got a problem. They've got a need. And so the consecration process would involve some ritual washings. It would involve abstaining from certain foods. It would involve abstaining from intimacy and marriage. There are all these steps that need to happen before the people would be prepared to come into God's presence. And so this consecration is a way of being reminded both who God is and who we are. Right? It's a way of being reminded He's holy. He is holy and He is separate from us. He is in a, in a different category than we are. He's holy and, and we're not. We're not. We're, we're sinful. We're rebellious. We're unclean. And so before we would dare approach His presence before we would dare witness some miraculous work of His, we've got a need that's going to have to be addressed. We're reminded God's holy and we're not. I think too some of the, you remember the distance that was stipulated between the ark? 2,000 cubits, right? Stay back. Now, part of that, as the Scripture says, was practical. If you stay far enough back, you're going to see where it's going and you'll be able to follow it. But I think, too, there's a spiritual component here as well. This ark that represents God's very presence. Stay back. right? Just like when, when Moses was up on Mount Sinai receiving those stone tablets. right? Where were the people? They had to stay back. Stay back at a safe distance from this holy, holy God. So we get a sense of who we are. We're in need. We're in need of cleansing. We're in need of consecrating. He's holy and we're not. And so, of course, here it's just ritual. Here it's just some holy water. And here it's just, you know, dot this I and cross this T. Which is a good reminder for the people that there is a need but it's not actually taking care of the need. We hear God's Word. We, we get a glimpse of who He is and, and who we are. 
And we see our need and we, we find out ultimately that that need can only be met when we do take refuge under the blood of the Lamb. Right? The Lamb whose blood actually has power to cleanse sin because He was our sinless substitute and sacrifice. Alright, so that's our first step of preparation. We've got to listen to God's Word. We've got to hear it. And in hearing it, we find out who God is and we find out who we are. Now, why is this hard? Right? These are, I promised you three steps, but I did not promise that they were three easy steps. Right? They are relatively simple as far as concepts go. Right? Listening to God's Word, that's a pretty simple concept. Doing it for all your life, that's a pretty hard thing to do. Why is this so hard? Many, many reasons. Um, I'll just name you a few. Uh, we're arrogant. We are prideful. We think we're smarter. We think we know better. There's one. Two, uh, a lack of faith. We fear that God's holding out on us. Right? That was Adam and Eve's problem in the garden. They feared that God was holding out on them, that He wasn't really being good and generous toward them with the command that He gave. We do the same thing. We look at God's command and we say, gosh, I'd be missing out if I, if I listened to His Word there. Now here's the big one. Here's why this is so hard, I think. Let me see if I can explain this concept. When we listen to God's Word, when we hear what it says, but we also know how we feel and we also know what we have experienced in life. Right? So we hear God's Word and we see what it says over here, but we've got all this life experience and all of these feelings and emotions that tend to tell us something else. We, we see and we hear and we listen to the God's Word that says He's good and He's loving. But here's all my hard and difficult and painful experiences. And so the, the two things rub up against each other. And so the crucial decision for us is what has the upper hand? Is it God's Word or is it my experience and my feelings and my emotions? Because see, the tendency is to interpret God's Word in light of our experiences and feelings. We interpret God's Word in light of the hard situations that we've experienced. The hurt, the pain, the disappointment. But we've actually got to flip-flop that and interpret our pain and our disappointments and all of our hurt circumstances. Interpret those based on God's Word. That's why it's so hard. That's why it's so hard. 
Didn't tell you they were easy steps. But that's your first step. We've got to listen to God's Word. Step two. After listening, after hearing, then we have to believe. All right? Then we have to believe. Specifically, we've got to believe His presence and His power. So that's back in, in verse 9. And I didn't recall this again on the slide, but that's back there in, in verse, actually in verse 10. Joshua said, here is how you shall know. Here's how you shall know that the living God is among you. Right? Here's how you shall come to a place of being confident and certain and sure. And so this is the crucial part. This is where that head knowledge travels that very crucial 18 inches down into our hearts. Here's how the rubber meets the road. And, and here's the, the proving ground for do I really believe all that stuff that I said I believed in Sunday school? And again, it's, a, it's about do I believe God's present? Do I believe God's powerful? That's the crux of things in verse 7. The Lord said to Joshua, Today I will begin to exalt you. Why is he going to exalt Joshua? In the sight of all Israel. Well, here's why. That they may know. That they may know. That they may believe. That they may trust. That as I was with Moses, so I will be with you. You've got to know that he's with you. You've got to know that he's able to do what he said. That he's present and powerful. And here's the beautiful thing in this. God is so gracious in helping us to know. He could have just said, you ought to know these things. You ought to know this about me. But he doesn't stop there. And he takes step after step after step and he stoops down low to buttress our weak, weak faith. He says, I'm about to do this great miracle, this amazing thing that they may know. Because quite honestly, God could have got his people across the Jordan River in any variety of ho-hum, ordinary ways. But he didn't want to do that. He wanted to make a spectacle of things. He wanted to demonstrate His power, not just for His own glory, though it is for that, because that's pretty glorious, when you make a river heap up in a big pile of water. right? That's glorious. Right? But it's not just for his own glory. It's so that the peoples will know. Not just his people, but all the peoples. Remember from last week, Rahab's testimony uh, there in Joshua 2.10? She's telling the spies, hey, we're all quaking in our boots here, for we have heard how the Lord... Oh, there's more drying up of water. How the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. Right? This is an encore performance because he's making it possible for us to believe. He's giving us reason after reason after reason to believe him and to trust him. Now, why is this so hard? And it is. All right. Again, multiple reasons. I'll give you a few. Really just one. We're a forgetful people. That's why it's so hard is we are a forgetful people. That was Israel's problem. Right? 
read through the Old Testaments, especially read the Psalms, and look at all the commands to remember, 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 over and over and over again. As if we have some type of learning disability or something. Remember, remember, but we are a forgetful people. We've got to remember God's past faithfulnesses. But here's the thing. We've got to be doing it all along the way. We can't just wait until we're in crisis and say, oh man, I need to remember some of the things that God has done. But if we were in a regular pattern of all along the way, remembering, pointing out to each other, hey, here's what the Lord has done. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it wonderful? Isn't He faithful? Um, a, a while back, I don't even remember how long ago, uh, Shay started keeping uh, this little thankfulness notebook in our kitchen. It's just on the counter, and it's just numbered um, sequentially. Um, and so she's normally the one to write stuff down, although sometimes the, I see in the kids' handwriting, uh, they're writing down something to be thankful for. Um, I've joined in a time or two. Sometimes it's big things that get listed. But a lot of times it's just common, ordinary, everyday things to be thankful about. And, and we need both, right? The, the weight of a thousand small kindnesses is a huge weight. But then we need the big things too. And we need them all along the way in sort of this disciplined, hey, I'm going to try to force myself to remember along the way God's kindnesses. We need the big things because those help us trust Him in the little things, right? The Jordan River crossing is a huge spectacle, right? Part of why God is doing this is to say, hey, if I can do this, what can I not do? If I, can, if I can pile up water. Have you ever made a pile of water? Right? If I can pile up water, what can I not do? It's this, and I, I just keep going back to this verse. Over, maybe it's my favorite verse. I don't know. I've never really identified it. It's this Romans 8.32 logic at work. Right? Romans 8.32, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If he's met our biggest, deepest need that we can ever have, then why are we so anxious about this, that, or the other? as if He's not also going to come through on that as well. If He can pile up water and stop a river from flowing, we've got to hear God's Word. We've got to believe God's Word. And the third one is we've got to obey God's Word. Now let's go back to verses 9 and 10 where we sort of originally saw these things. So we're going to listen, we're going to know, we're going to believe, we're going to trust. And then there's this third one, right? 
Because part of what we're going to know is that the living God is among you and that he will, without fail, drive out all the bad dudes. You know, the more I look at that, that definitely sounds like a step for him and not really a step for us. So what's that doing in our list of three steps? Well, here's the thing. This theme throughout Joshua that's just going to get pounded over and over and over and over again is basically this. The Lord your God is giving you this land. Now go take possession of it. All right. Here's the land and I'm giving it to you and you've got to go get it. And it's all throughout chapter 1. It's going to be all throughout Joshua. And come to find out, it is at the same time a promise and a command. And it's not contradictory. At the very same time, it's a promise and a command. Right? It is, the Lord's going to do this for you. Now get to work. What? All right, so who's going to drive out all the ites from the promised land? God surely will do it without fail. Now go get your toes in the water and watch him do it. Y'all, if this is not a picture of growth in the Christian life, I don't know what is. He does it as we do it. We have to take steps. But it's all His power. It's His power both to take the steps and to bring about the transformation that we so desperately need. And you see this over and over and over again in Scripture. We're going to see it very powerfully in a couple of chapters, right? When the Israelites march around and around and around, right? They're taking the steps, but it's God who brings the walls down. They're being obedient. They're taking the steps. And God shows up and brings the walls down. You know, Paul drove this idea home beautifully in his letter to the Philippians. Um, and sometimes folks get all bent out of shape. and Oh, what a contradiction this is. And it's not a contradiction at all. It's a beautiful tension. And it's how it works. Uh, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. There are steps that we have to take and it's God's power to take the steps and to bring about the change that we need in the end. Um, it is what I have come to know as, um, and I'm sure that I heard this from somebody. I just can't remember who. So I'm sorry to whoever it was. But it, it's active passivity. That's what it is. It's what the Christian 
life is. That's what growth is. That's certainly what possessing the promised land was. It's active passivity. We must obey. How can you read God's Word and think that there are not steps for us to take in obedience to what He commands? Right? We must obey. But we would be fools. We would be fools to think that we had the power to do it. To take the very steps of obedience, much less to bring about change or transformation in our hearts. We would be fools to think that we could. We don't have the power, but He does and He will do it. Now, why is this so hard? Ho, ho, ho. All right, so, so if this little label of active passivity works, the problem comes when we begin to emphasize one half of it over against the other. And it's all of our tendency. We're, we're all kind of wired one way or the other. Right? Some of us are going to err on the active side. Right? And the focus is always going to be on our effort and our eye-dotting and our T-crossing and our rule-keeping, what we're doing for the Lord, right? How lucky He is to have us on His team. And we end up doing that unplugged from the true source of power. And we will become one of two things. And I've mentioned this before. We will either become arrogant, thinking we've accomplished so much, and we'll start to give the side eye to those around us who aren't pulling their weight, who aren't dotting eyes quite the way that we're dotting eyes. So we might become arrogant, or most likely we'll become discouraged when we see and we know how little we've actually changed. And so that's the problem if we emphasize the active part too much. I'm not wired that way. I'm a little more lazy. My struggle's going to be on the passive side. I'll just sit back and wait on the Lord to change me. He'll change me one of these days. And we never actually get around to taking those steps. Those steps, that are, they're, they're so clearly here, but we're, and you can call it what you want, resting in grace, you know, whatever cute label you might want to give it. God says, go possess the land. Go possess it for I'm giving it to you. I hope that you will benefit from these three steps. I hope that you will have fun practicing these three steps for the rest of your life because it's going to take it for us to hear God's Word, 
for us to believe it in our hearts, in our heart of hearts, to be convinced of it, to be certain of it, to remember all that He's done in the past so that we can trust Him today, and to step out, to step out in obedience, knowing that it's He who empowers even those very steps. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, thank You for your goodness to us and for your grace. For even providing your word, for revealing yourself to us, for speaking to us that we might even have something to listen to. Thank you for your grace in stooping down to us and giving us reason after reason after reason to believe that you're faithful to give us wonder after wonder after wonder, to be able to see, wow, you're powerful, you're present. And for even giving us the power. Thank you for being the one who works in us even as we would seek to work out our salvation. I pray right now that you would help us to, to, to navigate that tension. To not be confused by it, to not be sidetracked by it, um, but to be willing to live in the tension that that we do have steps of obedience to take and at the same time knowing that we can't lift a finger without your empowering grace and without your willingness to change our hearts. So Father, I pray, pray that you take all this and you bring it home to our hearts and you cause it to sink deep, deep down pray in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Let's stand and sing in response now.